Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 339 featuring Liz Montez, the head of production over at the third floor and also a good friend of mine who I work with back at DD and as an amazing person. I absolutely adore Liz. Kristen, what did you think of Liz and uh, this podcast? Well, Liz was amazing. She um, actually was like super interested in movies at a young age and kind of mm-hmm. wanted to know how they were made. Um, but when she studied in college, she was going to like work for the UN. Um, and now she's in the movies. So it's just like two completely different occupations. So that was mm-hmm. just like a fun story in itself. Um, mm-hmm. And just how she got into the business. Um, that I love. I loved hearing about that and just starting mm-hmm. at DD and working with you. Um, her story uh, of working at uh, Third Floor on BFG with Spielberg. So when he went on vacation, all of Third Floor got to go with him um, to the vacation <laughs> in the Hamptons, and they shot in his garage. So she just yeah. has a lot of little stories like that. Um, kind of explains what head of production does, um, and then mm-hmm. just goes on to talking about working, how it's been working during the pandemic. So it's just a it's a great podcast, and you get to learn a lot of stuff. You know, what but sometimes people don't always talk about the production side of stuff. So I enjoyed yeah, it a lot. Absolutely, I think it's very critical that people understand production and how important it is. I mean, it's really those. That's the that is the 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 viscous grease that makes them sure the engine is moving. Because otherwise, without those people that make sure that everything is in place, it just doesn't happen. And so, having someone that's there and it's extremely organized and can really think and predict all of the different things that are going to be necessary to do a shoot uh, and to run a production is, is a big deal. And the fact that she's head of production is uh, is a is a really great thing. It's been amazing to see uh, Liz, uh, uh, you know, grow in her career and become the, 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 the important person that she is. So I'm, I'm, I've always been very impressed with her. So it's really great. It was really cool for me to be able to do this podcast with her. And I was extremely happy to do it. Uh, and we get to learn a lot about Third Floor, which is also cool mm-hmm. because obviously they're one of the leading uh, previous companies in the world. Um, cool. All right. We have a couple of announcements. Uh, so Kristen, what is going on? All right, you can find these out at chaos.com slash events, but our big news is on September 9th and 10th, we will be holding 24 hours of chaos again, and it's going to be 12 back-to-back shows with more than 60 hosts and speakers um, and guests from all over the world in a 24-hour live stream. And we actually have its own website, which is chaos.com slash 24 hours. Hours is all spelled out. Right. So perfect. So the number 24 and then hours, chaos.com slash 24 hours. Very exciting. It was awesome last year. I loved doing it last year. Uh, This year, we're going to be doing our LA show is not going to be four hours, it'll be two hours, which will be a little bit of a relief for us. But I really think they're a lot of fun to be able to sort of hop along the globe and uh, do these experiments. So and these uh, these experiences with all these different groups of people. Very cool. All right, if we have, uh, if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast or chaos.com slash CG Garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Perfect. And if you guys have any questions about the podcast or comments or ideas of other guests you'd like to have on, please let us know. Just email us at labs at chaosgroup.com. And we've gotten some great suggestions there and we definitely pay attention to it. So let us know. Uh, And of course, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share us with all of your friends and family. (laughs) But for now, enjoy this great episode with my good friend, Liz Montez, head of production at The Third Floor. 
Welcome to another CG Garage Where the Chaos Group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays In high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passe Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. So, Liz, I think we should let people know that you and I used to work very closely together for at least Oblivion. Was there any other movie? We did, uh, we did Tron, too. We, actually, I didn't do Tron, but you were, I think you were working on Real Steel to some extent. I was. Right? I was on Real Steel. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But we started working together closely because I was the lighting coordinator, I believe, on, on Oblivion. On Oblivion, yeah, you 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 whipped me into shape because then you made sure I was, <laughs> <laughs> you made sure I was at the right place at the right time and talking to the right people and making sure everything was happening. Honestly, that is something that I think is such a critical role. Uh, is a good coordinator, someone who can really get you going. It's not. It's it's a, it's a skill set that I strongly lack, uh, and I can only do because of people like you who can keep me organized. Um, so I was very, very thankful for, for your time. And I am really excited to talk to you about, you know, what you're doing now, taking those skills to running an entire studio, a big studio. <laughs> yeah. So totally. tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about, let's, let's actually go back a little bit. Let's go and see like, what got you into the film industry in the first place? And how did that all start? What was the ambition there? Well, funny thing. So when I was a kid, I loved going to the movies. I loved asking my dad, like, how do they do that? And, you know, oh, those are Foley artists in the background. You know, that's the sound effects department. So he would kind of explain things to me. And it was always just a dream, but never something that I envisioned myself doing. And it's mm -hmm. weird because I grew up in Los Angeles. So if anyone's going to have that dream come true, it's usually the kids that live in L.A. that kind of grow up, you know, knowing people in the industry. Um, so I had done basically like a PA gig for someone that my dad knew. And that was like my onset experience to the extent of that, like crafty, a little bit of snacks for people here and there. Like was your dad working cables. in, work, was your dad working in the industry? No, my dad basically owned restaurants. He was an entrepreneur, uh, but one of his buddies was a guy that built sets. So there was this Nelly Furtado video that I helped out with. And so that was my extent of that. But um, I was going to UCLA and I was, I, you know, was thinking that I was going to work for the UN because I was a French major and a, a basically a, a international relations major, double majored in mm -hmm. that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to work for the UN. I'd done a year in France and I was dreaming in French. So I was like, oh, it's, this is definitely what's going to happen. Like, this is, this is it. Um, but I ended up in my last quarter at UCLA doing a, um, an internship for Extra, the television show. And so I was in the research and development department, stretching stories. And what that means is, you know, when they didn't have five minutes of content, they'd say, well, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about Britney Spears and like how many calories she's consuming in this week. So let's find pictures of her, you know, eating frappuccinos or drinking frappuccinos. And so I would go and research all these things and come up with something. Um, or if, you know, someone was getting married, George Clooney's getting married, well, how much did his wife's dress costs. So I, you know, we call them places in Beverly Hills. So that was my introduction to, you know, really kind of working behind the scenes in, in production. So I happened to, you know, graduate and 
walk into a party one day and I met someone who you probably remember, Jody Wilson. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, so she was working at, at Digital Domain at the time, and we were just talking about you know work and what do we do. And I said that I just graduated from UCLA and I was looking for for work. And she said you'd be really good at what I do. I said, well, what do you do? She said that she was a coordinator and a production manager. She happened to be working on this film called Real Steel. And I said, well, I, I don't know anything about like visual effects. Like She said, well, it's just communication. And you seem like you're someone that's really smart and sharp. And it's just about, it's really just communication. Um, so she asked me to you know, give my resume over to her. And I thought she was just you know, being friendly and nice. But I ran into her again about a month later. And she said, you never sent me your resume. And they were looking for an intern position, like a PA position. Um, and so I said, what the heck? You know, I gave it to her. And then I got, I got called in for an interview with two of the production managers and two of the producers, the digital producer and the uh, VFX producer. And boom, I got, I got the gig and I was really excited about it. I didn't know what they were talking about. I'm like, what is a plate? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I figured it out and I asked questions when I needed to and Googled things when I needed to. I'm sure there was a time when you walked into the room and I was like, hey, Chris, can you help me look at this CG shot and kind of help me figure something out? But I had, you totally had, you had me, I expected you to have a lot more experience than you let on. So you picked it up really quickly. (laughs) I got to tell you. I think I did. Yeah, I think I did because the the VFX producer had me shadowing uh, someone that was awesome at her job, Charlene Go, and she was our, our VFX coordinator. So I started, you know, handling the client conversations and getting stuff ingested. And I really learned quickly and I loved it. So um, I hopped onto a couple more shows after that at DD. I think I did three, I did three. And third one was with you at on Oblivion. And, and that was it. And then I hopped over to, to third floor. Um, and when I was approached about going over to third floor, I was super happy at DD. I was, you know, loving it. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of hours that you'd have to put in and I didn't mind doing them. And I was learning and, you know, growing in my career. Um, but uh, the HOP at the time at third floor was someone I worked with at DD, uh, Carrie Shea. So she said, let's right. come over, come interview. And I said, well, no, you know, I, I'm really happy here. You'd be really good at this. Come over here. Like the renders, we, you know, we don't, we don't work past seven o'clock at third floor. So I was like, really? Um, but I ended up going to interview and. I was like, yes, you know, I signed myself up. She, you know, she wanted to hire me. I did it. And we were working on different types of projects. I ended up doing a, you know, the BFG with Steven Spielberg. You know, he shot the whole thing on virtual camera. Really Mm -hmm. cool experience. Super cool experience. He was with us every day from like, you know, we started at nine. If we started shooting at nine, he'd be there at eight 30, eight o'clock, ready to go. Um, and you know, when it came to his vacation time, going to the Hamptons, he said, third floor, you guys are coming with us. So it was an intimate group of seven of us. We went to and shot out of his Hamptons garage, which was wow. amazing. Yeah. It was a very cool experience. Um, and then when he had to go to New York, we went and, you know, shot out of Tribeca, um, when he had time and he always made time for, you know, making his movie. So, uh, really cool experiences at third floor getting to work closely with different types of creative storytellers. Um, and that was, that's kind of why I also wanted to go over to the TTF because there was this, these creatives that were just so used to working with uh, the company, the founders of the company was, you know, five guys that started it and uh, they grew a little bit bigger by the time I was working there. I think the seat count was about 60 people out of the Los Angeles office. 
Now we're 300. So right. we are the biggest we've ever been. And that's just in, in the LA office. We have the London right. office that, you know, they're almost close to a hundred people. And then we have a China office that we launched in 2020. So. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Now your role now, you are the head of production there, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, that's a great role, but let's explain. Some people may not know what the role and responsibilities of a head of production are because I know they're very big, but go ahead and explain some of the, what some of the things you have to do as, in that role. So a lot of what I do, especially these days as we're, we're growing, it's a lot of interviewing talent and, you know, also at the same time, team building. So I have four producers, uh, two production managers that run shows along with, you know, 22 coordinators. So constantly looking for new talent to put on these shows, but at the same time, finding opportunities for, you know, new business to bring in a new show. Um, and we're a lot of a lot of the day-to-day strategy. So working with the vice president when it comes to how are we going to, you know, keep clients happy with the new technology? How are we going to, you know, bring things to set that that we know is going to be useful for a director? At the same time, coaching people that are learning to be, you know, the up and coming line producer that I have in these production manager roles, which, you know, it's basically creating roles and finding talent, finding someone that's, if it was me, you know, 10 years ago, you look like a great communicator, finding someone with a certain skill set and, and showing them the way to, you know, the, to opportunities for their own personal growth and using their skill sets that, you know, the company's going to be able to maximize their growth as well. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's very reward, rewarding. It's, it's coaching, it's mentoring, but it's also strategizing and really growing the business. And to be this big, it's been a really amazing experience. Lots of conversations with recruiting, lots of conversations with our talent directors. Uh, you know, how do we find more people? How do we put them on these shows and, and keep our shows moving um, at the pace that we need them to go? You know, how do we how do we do all this um, so that we don't lose a beat? Because, I mean, COVID happened and we were still in business, th- you know, thankfully. And we also got a PPP loan that, that allowed us to continue work on some some more different types of projects. But we have tons of new technology. We work in game engine. We have clients that are constantly wanting to, you know, push the envelope, but they're also learning how to use this tech. And so are we. So a lot of my, of my role is, is strategizing and making sure that um, we build in time for people to, you know, get that opportunity to learn the new, the new tech and to get into, and get into the hot seat and be okay knowing that they, you know, know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean it's it. There, you guys are definitely a, a very interesting role. Now, I mean, third floor is very, it's very well known for its for its previs. It's that it's still your specialty, right? It's basically what Absolutely. you guys are, are known for. All right, so uh, I. I find previous to be very an interesting part of it because it is really the beginning part where you're the decisions about how things are going to be and what things are going to look like. And that's where you make those decisions and you make visual references for all those things. It's really based, it's like storyboarding on steroids, basically. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's really a, a great role. So obviously you came from digital domain where you're like, we're delivering the final picture, right? You know, you, you're at the end of the process. You're now at the very beginning of the process and you're coordinating with the the most creative people out there when they're creating the most critical part of the critical decision of, of the, of the, of, of that creative process. How has that been different in terms of dealing with creative people at, at that very beginning part? I think it's interesting because you have, um, you get to really see the vision of that storyteller and every storyteller is 
different. But, you know, as they begin to build these sets, we get things from the art department that they've approved or the studios approved. And we we really get to get into that intimate setting of what is the what where is this coming from? What you know, is this the vision of the director? And usually it is um, at that point. Um, but so it's really helping them create their story and helping them, you know, prep for set because that's really what we're doing. We're giving them that visual blueprint to take to set, whether it's, you know, lens selection, camera angles or getting into environment that doesn't exist and having them save so much money because they're going to work out all their kinks early on. So by the time they're at set, it's like I've already figured this stuff out. So it's very rewarding and it. I think it's very exploratory because there's so much conversations that happen in the beginning that are about creating that vision and you really get to get into the the organics of what you know who is this character um so i find that really interesting as opposed to being on the digital domain side you know this stuff has already been worked out you know we'd get the previs if we didn't do the previs we'd get the previs and you know some somebody would tell us what this all meant and we would kind of just replicate and execute of course not that simple, as you know, you know, figuring out yeah. the lighting and making things look and work the way that they do. Sometimes in the previous, you know, an animal doesn't really move that way. So the VFX company is like, you want me to make that happen that way? Okay, stick to the previous. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of depends on who you're working with. But it's really interesting because you really get down to the to the nitty gritty of a story. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then you were alluding to this, and I definitely want to get this in more uh, in more detail because you, wh when did you start at Third Four? Was it ten years ago? You said uh, about eight years ago. About eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. There has been huge changes and pushes in technology and filmmaking process that have happened that you've probably been very pervy to over those years. Can you talk us a little bit like how things have changed over eight years and what you're seeing as some of the, the new trends and how you guys are, are weathering all of this change? Yeah, sure. Um, so we worked on Mandalorian season one. I worked on that. I actually left third floor to go work in the London office and run that office from 2016 to 2017. So when I came back, you know, they had started working in, in game engine and they did a partnership. Third floor did a partnership with Epic games to really define what our pipeline would look like. It's something we call mercury. So by the time season two of Mandalorian was you know going, they had the volume, they had the virtual camera, they had everything and all these led screens up so that basically it's kind of like creating uh, finals in camera, like pseudo finals in camera, uh, because you don't have to wait for, you don't have to wait for four o'clock, five o'clock for that sun to set. You can recreate that in an environment, in the volume with, you know, whoever the creative is, whoever that director is, can come in at, at that time, whatever time they want, and they can create their vision and we can adjust the lighting, but it's happening in real time. And that's something that, that we couldn't really do back then. I mean, we did it, we did it to an extent on oblivion. But it's different now because it's something that's that's easier for for companies to do because it's it's all done in game engine so it's quick it's fast like you you know you have people render our teams rendering stuff out creating these master scenes and you know we're shooting through episodes super quickly and TV of course takes a lot longer it's it's a lot faster but it it, it takes a bit longer to do if you're trying to do that all in a visual effects company because mm -hmm. there's so there's so much to do and so little time. Um, so what it's doing is it's allowing filmmakers to really come in and instead of flying to Abu Dhabi, it's like, well, it's in the volume. It, all the characters, if you have uh, mocap happening, you can just throw, you know, whatever that CG character is on top of that mocap actor 
and the director can literally direct his film and create it there. So it's really taking it to that next level. You're able to really, really push the storytelling element. Um, so I think it's really phenomenal that every every person that's coming into third floor is like, what did you guys do on Mandalorian? How do we do that? So tons of different shows are trying to come in and kind of have that methodology down on the stages. And, you know, whether it's one director, whether it's streaming OTTs, it's film, um, it's definitely what's happening. It's what everyone wants to do. Um, and the cool thing about the game engine is that it allows you to really polish shots. You don't have to wait two weeks or two months for it to cook at a VFX house. You you know, you kind of get that photo realistic finish right away. And people, you know, who wants to wait? <laughs> it's true. It's true. There is there. I mean, I have I have uh, I have some feelings about that because I don't always know that it's going to be exactly right. But, uh, right. but I do feel that, 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 that the concept of real time and what real time, the implication of what real time does and that creative process is fascinating to me uh, uh, because I feel that uh, the decision-making that you guys are doing is happening right then and there. You're not having to... Remember how we used to wait there? It's like, okay, we'll see it in three days. You know, like that's no, <laughs> yeah. that's no. You'll see it now, right? And when you see it now, the the term will fix it in post starts to go away, <laughs> right? Exactly. You have to make the decision right now, which means that basically the previous companies are way more, you know, uh, way more involved in the final look of things than they were in the past. They don't sort of say, we'll figure it out somewhat and then the rest will be figured out later. So you guys are doing much more that's involved in the final frame, uh, which is a fascinating thing to me. As you, are you guys feeling that as well? For sure, yeah, definitely are. And I mean, it, it goes to show on Mandalorian, like we're at the beginning, we're there at the end, we're working with, even with the VFX companies, ILM, to make sure that things are, are matching, um, but we're part of the whole entire process from the iterative to you know that final product. And if you look at what, what we ended up you know, putting up on the screens, VFX companies are almost matching identically to it. So uh, it's very, it's very interesting to see how close we get. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's less time, but at the same time you get more time and you, you kind of get to the bang out of your buck. Um, right. So it, yeah, people, you know, there's different types of people that aren't really interested in that, but I think right now it's just what everyone's talking about. Yeah, and I know that you know I spoke to to several several people about this you know uh, as well as uh, there was a lot of people, especially during the COVID times when people couldn't go shooting. They're like, "Well, we'll just Mandalorian it." And it's like, "Well, hold on a second. <laughs> it's not necessarily a magic bullet for everything, uh, but it is an interesting tool set." Do you think that? Do you think that specifically the pandemic has sort of created an, an urgency for this type of idea of virtual production, be it through LED walls or any other kind of virtual production that you guys are doing? Do you think that's actually had a push the technology further in that way? Um, I don't know if it's pushed the technology further, but I would say it's allowed people to really work creatively behind the scenes during COVID because, you know, you'd have an artist with a mocap suit on at home fighting a pillow uh, and then, you know, an A-list director directing and throwing a CG character on top of that. So it's, a, it's definitely allowed people to not have the limitations, like they haven't had to physically be there and with the constraints of COVID. Um, and in the midst of, you know, when we really got shut down, that we were able to pick back up pretty quickly because of because of this technology. Um, and I think it's probably just drawn even more attention to it. 
Yeah, but uh, okay, that actually brings up a good point. You were talking about, you know, during COVID, obviously everyone started to have to work from home. That must have been a logistically very tough to, to handle that, right? And especially since you guys are doing previs at a very early part of the process, that is something that usually never leaves the studio and suddenly everyone's working from home. Like what were the politics behind, not, you know, I don't want to get too much, but like having to, the studios going, well, you remember that said that everything leaves the building, now everything's working from home. How did that coordination happen? How did you guys reassure them that everything was going to be okay and safe, even though everyone's working from home? Right. Lots of conversations with those clients. Um, you know, that that's exactly how they, they saw it. Like this stuff does not leave the office? How do we maintain security? How do we know that you're not going to get an Uber Eats delivery and you're going to be working on some super top secret Marvel content and, you know, oh, you open the door and the person's going to see this character. Um, so in terms of security and in terms of security in the in the bedroom, wherever it is that you're working out of, you know, it's it was re-NDAing. It was also the client coming and saying, you know what, these are, you know, these are the new constraints of how we're going to work from home. This is the new NDA. And at some point this is going to, this is going to end, but, you know, maintaining that security along their parameters, but at the same time, ensuring, you know, and trusting that, that our artists or in our, you know, producers and coordinators were maintaining that level of security. So um, it was definitely, it was definitely interesting and having to, you know, shut down when, when it was mandated I think just like I'm sure you thought, everyone else thought like, oh, I'm going to be back in the office next week. So, um, you know, we all thought that we brought some things home. There's definitely a lot of my stuff still at the office and I've slowly been going back in. But um, nobody thought it would take this long. Um, nobody thought that, you know, this, this pandemic would be as as mind blowing as it's been. And, and we're still in it. So I think in terms of of the bigger picture and how we did it, it was our IT team three, four guys, like, I don't know how they did it, but they did it within two to three weeks. They took something that would, that would take about a year and they brought it down into, you know, a month. And mm -hmm. that, you know, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of purchasing more, even more computers, because if it meant that we were tapping into our, you know, VPN at, in your system at, at third floor to remain secure, it meant, you know, doubling the amount of machines that we had, because not everyone has a computer at home. Um, lending out, chairs and any type of office equipment. Um, so it was interesting, but everyone was ready to do it. Everyone was ready to, you know, let's roll up our sleeves and let's make this happen. So I applaud our IT team. They, they we couldn't have done it without them. And to this day, when anything, when anything doesn't work, it's like IT, IT, you know, there will keep us going. So. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think they are, you know, honestly, throughout the entire planet, I think the IT staff of all every company around the world really helped people continue working as much as they could. And they should be applauded for what they're able to do. You know, I really thought the internet was going to break. I thought like, there's no <laughs> way, <laughs> there's no way yeah. we're going to do this, but it maintained, it worked, you know, it kept working and everything was, was okay. I know some people had some trouble and, you know, they ironed it out, but it definitely worked. Are you seeing now that, now that we've been this in this for well over a year, right. And we've gone through all these, these, these headaches, um, but have you seen benefits? Do you see things like, well, this is something that's not that's a benefit that we're going to keep having and we're going to keep doing this because we learned that that actually is a better than the old way we were working? I think if anything, it's it's made people have to kind of over communicate because you have to figure out a way to to talk to this artist or this, you know, this coordinator. Um, so it's really it's 
really made people have to dig deeper and you know make sure that their their meetings make sense because otherwise if there's just meetings that are on the calendar and it doesn't make sense like let's remove them but if, what do we really need here people so um in terms of the way production works and in terms of the artists i think that it's it's, it's harder but we've made it look easy like there are people i've hired at least 20 people in the past year at least 20 people that i've never met and um even even last last week, I, I went to lunch for the first time with my line producer who I hired and she just moved here from Brazil. And I feel like I know Anna because I talk to her three, four times a day on these video chats. Um, mm-hmm. And I recognized her. I pulled up and she got in my car. And it was just like, hi, I knew who she was. She knew who I was. We talked the whole way to lunch. We wouldn't stop talking. But it's like you feel like you know someone and you kind of have to create that environment. Um, and that's that's hard, I think, also for artists, artists. Sometimes they can be the type that, you know, they put their headphones on and they're in the darkness, like they're working on their whatever their vision is, whatever they're asked to do. Um, it's easier, I think, for production people. But at the same time, for production people in doing this stuff, it's, it's definitely it's something it's something new. And it's something if you asked me five years ago, if, if we'd be able to achieve what we're doing today, I'd be like, no way. It's not possible. But when you're forced to, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's amazing uh, what what people are figuring out these days. I mean, it's just there's a lot of. My wife's a flame artist, right? And she works from home, and she's she's like, it's really great because I'm home and I don't have to you know be you know locked in the flame room and I can work and do what I need to do. But also, it's really bad because I don't know when to stop working. <laughs> so, yes. and that's been a big a big problem because there's no like oh yeah I can just. She's, she's it's oh, the computer's always there available for her to do something which is which is tough um yes indeed but but when you're doing like you know you mentioned you know communication and that's something i think that is very interesting and uh, probably a huge challenge when working from home previs is a lot of communication a lot of how how is this going to look and describing things and looking at things and doing that with in video chats is probably a real challenge. Uh, I mean, have there been challenges that you've been able to uh, overcome? Like, how do you manage those things? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely hard for supervisors to kick off new talent. Like I was saying, like when you grow and you're bringing on people that have never worked with a company and they're using our tools for the first time, the communication, it's, it's so much easier for them when it's over the shoulder or, or, hey, let me drive. Let me, this is how you do something. So I know I've heard the pain points that, that the supervisors are um, are dealing with. And and I'm sure the artists, you know, sometimes feel the same way. Like it would just be so much easier if we could, you know, navigate this in, in person. Um, but we've had to lean on different types of technology, different types of, you know, software that that is approved to use so that we can screen share a certain way or, you know, have two people drive a system at the same time. So that's tricky. And, you know, we don't always have that on every show. There's different tiers of security that allow, you know, different types of programs. Um, but they've, they've made it, they've made it work. Um, and it's definitely been more challenging on them for sure. The soups and the, and the leads, uh, it's been more challenging on them, but they're still able to get, to get that going. So, um, you know, what we've learned in, in terms of strategy, it's like, how can we bring, you know, if we're onboarding, how can we onboard early? How can we make sure that there's, you know, if, if, if we're allowed to do certain things because COVID's like allowing us to actually have people in a space, who are the people that we're going to choose to put in that space first? Is it, is it going to be so that we can, you know, implement these types of strategies and get people onboarded 
more quickly? Um, or is it going to be the shows that are going to demand that level of security? And that's tricky too, because you know, you're limited in space. You can't have a bunch of people in a room like we used to be able to do. Um, so it's kind of just every day is a new learning experience with, with how we're dealing with things and how we're onboarding shows. Cause we have a couple shows that are finally over at third floor, but, um, it's just two and then it's TBD when it's going to be more, the Delta variant isn't helping. So, um, it probably won't, it probably won't be more than two for a couple more months, a few more months, hard to yeah. say. Right. Now, do you see yourselves still allowing people more flexibility and people being able to work from home after, you know, after, let's say the pandemic passes and it's pretty much clear skies and we can all go back to work if we want to? Do you feel that you're going to allow people to work, continue to work from home if they choose to do so? Or are you going to say, you know what, it's going to be much better for all together at this point? Yeah, I think that it's going to be dependent on what, you know, legally what we're allowed to do. But I think it's ultimately going to be in terms of the client's view. If they need us to be back at the studio, then that's those are the people that we're going to have to recruit to, to go back. And if they, for some reason, don't feel comfortable, aren't vaccinated, then it's clear that they're not going to be contenders. So it's going to it's going to be tricky. Um, but I think ultimately it's in the client's hands. Yeah, it's true. I guess I guess it is because I mean I've, I've been thinking about it for a little bit. I said, like, you know, if I was opening a studio, I I would find it kind of liberating that I could get talent from anywhere. Now I don't really need to be restrained by the no, this person has to be in Los Angeles and at at our office or our studio, but they can actually be anywhere, and that sort of opens up the talent pool <laughs> a lot more. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's something that that you guys would 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 try to take advantage of, but you really, I guess it's whatever the, uh, the client says, right? Yeah. And we have definitely been opening up, like we're even in Vancouver now, that's the newest thing. Um, there, you know, we're almost in all the States. We can't hire out of Vermont, but I love having that flexibility to, you know, have coordinators that are eventually going to move back to LA. And when I hire them, Hey, do you have, you know, do you have intent to move to LA? If, you know, if we get called back into the studio, are you going to be able to do that? Yes, absolutely. I've always wanted to live in LA. So, you know, we just make sure that we, we set the parameters, but at the same time, there's going to be a day where if they're not able to move or those artists aren't going to be able to move, we're not going to be able to employ them. So that's definitely going to affect how big we're able to grow. Um, and I think right now the 300 just for Los Angeles, it's, it's interesting because, uh, after after a certain point, there's not enough people out there in the world to to, to bring in. So we've been we've have to we've had to be very selective in terms of how we hire, and uh, you know we've been going into different types of disciplines and creating different types of of new roles during this work from home period because we're allowed to because we're allowed to to hire differently. So it's been culturally it's been very interesting. Yeah, I bet. I'm really curious. You just said you're not allowed to hire out of Vermont. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not actually not sure. I think I, I'd have to talk to the HR team, but um, I think it's just contracts and different, different rules. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you never know, I guess. But that's very interesting. So, so yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're, you're able to do that. I think it makes sense. I, I think that obviously. Um, you know, like you said, whatever the studio wants and communication is important. It's very hard. I mean, I can imagine just trying to do a Zoom call with Steven Spielberg and he, him trying to explain his movie to you. Probably very complicated and tough. Uh, but uh, what do you see, you know, coming out of this, not just, you know, obviously the pandemic, we've talked about that enough, but what do you see as the future of Previs? I mean, obviously, 
post uh, visual uh, virtual production is going to be an important part of what you guys are looking at uh, in terms of your future. But what what do you what is your vision of what what you guys are doing in a filmmaking process and how that's going to change? I think we're constantly going to be evolving and adapting with new tech, um, and I think that that's constantly going to be what pushes us uh, and you know brings different clients over to us. But I think the biggest thing is is getting people. Um, you know, because we we're hiring game engine people now. Um, and I, at some point when I came back to third floor, you know, I left to go do Terminator 6. I went back to VFX for a minute. When I came back, I was like, what is this game engine stuff? So it's immersing people and, and getting them comfortable, getting supervisors comfortable with the new tech. You know, this is buggy. I don't, I don't know how to fix the bug. What does that mean? And for me, it's like, well, how quickly can we produce shots? What's the new quota? How, you know, how can I bid this stuff out? So I think we're constantly just going to be adapting with whatever the new tech is um, and at the same time competing with other studios that are that are using that same tech and pushing that same envelope. Um, so I think I'm not sure what it will be, but it'll definitely be quite the the race to as, as usual. You know, who's who's doing what now? How do we do that? <laughs> Right. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's that whatever the latest technology is, is what people are looking to use. And that's going to be, you have to stay on top of that because that's going to become something that's going to drive business towards you, right? So technology is actually exactly. a center point of your business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very, that's, that's, that's cool. So, but real time is, is also something that you guys have, uh, have mentioned quite a bit. And the, the fact that you guys are looking for game talent, right? To do that. Suddenly mm -hmm. this is a new, a new type of talent. Do you feel that you're able to find that talent easily or is it highly in demand and extremely competitive as I assume it might be? It's that's it's definitely the latter um but it, it it definitely means going out of the box and you know who can we talk to at these schools and and how do we you know how do we bring on these you know these new new industry people and get them into our system so we've created a lot of new programs which i think is super interesting where you know we call them something uh which is i won't even say it out loud because it's a funny name but um you know the, we bring on these people that work on shows and learn and mentor under someone else um that's you know it could be it could be a a big a big project but that's the only way they're going to learn um real hands-on experience and the only way we're going to get them here is to start looking you know look, when are they graduating and really going out there and figuring out well when did when do those kids graduate when do those kids graduate because they're the ones that are that are the most eager too, and that really know the latest tech because you know everyone else is pretty much employed at this point. Business, business is booming in film, which is a really great thing to hear. But it's also interesting. So, are you going? Like you said, you're going to schools and you're saying this is a skill set that we need, and you need to start training these people now <laughs> in that skill set, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah, our teams are going out there and you know looking at different schools that that we know have great talent and um, schools that some of our, our uh, game engine experts have come from um, right. and find, you know, just kind of utilizing uh, them to help inform us of where we can find the talent. Uh, Cause at one point they, you know, they graduated and they're the, the ones that are the subject matter experts, you know, leading the way and kind of in charge of how we, how we book people onto shows and, you know, what are these new roles that we're creating? What is, what does that mean? Inform us so that we can, strategically come up with something that makes sense and how do we bill for it? So um, it's been, it's been a very cool process and I love working with these guys. They're really talented, really talented people. 
That's interesting also because I think, you know, obviously you're, you're, you know, you guys are filmmakers and you're hiring game people, right? And they're bringing in a skill set of the game engine and all that, but they don't necessarily have the skill set of making movies, right? And they don't necessarily right. know that. So is there a lot of cross-pollinization that's happening between these two people? Like, I'll teach you how to make movies if you teach me how to, <laughs> how to make game engines. Yeah, Third Floor does a really good job of having different types of courses and different types of programs throughout the year. Like we have a master's class. So if you if you happen to come from a game game engine school and for, for some reason if you were all just about games and you want to learn how to be a storyteller, you know, there are classes about that. There, you know, there's this master class and if you want a producer, you want to direct, there's a budget that they'll give you. And we have different people come in from the industry. It could be producers, directors different types of visionaries that come in and, and have their lecture. And at the same time, like, you know, we put people together in these groups of producer, director, and what everything under the sun, and they go and they shoot something. Um, so they learn, like, if you want to learn that there's opportunities, and that's what I love about Third Floor. It's all about giving back to, you know, it's an artist-run studio. So giving back to the artists and giving back to the talent, whatever you want to learn, there's opportunities. And just continuing that education throughout the system at TTF is something that they keep pushing and it, it gets cooler and cooler. There's times where I'm like, oh man, I, I want to watch this. Like I want to spend an hour watching this content because even though I'm not an artist, I, you know, I want to continue to learn and see what, like, what does it mean to be an engine? Like what, what, what do these bugs look like and how do we, you know, how do we continue to educate people and get them to want to watch this content? So, you know, if you got six hours of video content, like one, people don't usually have the time to watch it, but how do we get them to be excited about it? And TTF does a great job of really putting it out there and getting people to, to check this stuff out. Yeah, that is, that is, that is really interesting, you know, to, to sort of think about how that, how that affects people. And speaking of, you know, education, you know, when, when, when you and I worked out on, on Oblivion, it was interesting because Joe knew about CG, right? He came from the CG right. background and that was one of the rare moments where suddenly the director knows about not those kids on those computers making those crazy things, you know, that's the way they used to be see us. But then it's like, no, I know what I'm talking about. And it was kind of an interesting thing to, to have someone on the, on the director side, on the studio side of things that really sort of communicated things very clearly in terms of computer graphics, because they're, because of their, their exp experience. What about you guys? Are you working? I mean, obviously you're kind of in some ways, putting the technology directly in the hands of the creative people in, in a lot of ways. Are you finding that you're having some of those creatives on the studio side be more in tune with the technology as they do it? Or are they, are they starting to become, you know, are they able to communicate much more in those tech terms uh, with, with your team? I think that it, it, it depends on the person because it always depends on their background, right? And some have a different aptitude for for learning these new technologies and using these words. And some just don't ever want to pick up a V camera or an iPad or anything like that. Um, mm. You know, some just want to work in Maya, like, or some of them want to create their own storyboards and they don't even want to use Previs. So um, at the end of the day, I think, I think it's interesting because there are certain types of visionaries that are like, yes, get, you know, like move, you know, move the bus. Like, you know, how do I get in there? Like, Hey, show me how to do this. Like, can I drive? So it, it is interesting, but I think in terms of the producers that, that are, you know, there with the budgets that whomever there's VFX supervisor or director is, and they say they want to use this game engine thing. It's also, um, you know, 
explaining to them what that, that means and, you know, what does it mean for the output and what does it mean in, at the end of the day? Like, what's the difference? What's the variance in the, in the budget? And, and how is this going to be useful to tell the story? Um, so it's, it's definitely been an interesting educational process for me as someone that kind of was like, oh, what are you guys doing now? Um, and there are clients that are like, yeah, what, what does this mean? So um, I think that's also the fun part in terms of explaining things to people as, as they learn and, and, you know, they come back on their next film if it's producer and they're like, let's do the same thing we did. Like, let's use that same methodology. Love the game engine. Like we love, you know, this is the stuff that, that we want to talk about and this is a new jargon. So it, it is it is cool and it does depend on who your, who your audience is. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Do you feel that the the technology? I mean, sometimes I always used to make this comment that you know, if if the only tool you know how to use is a hammer, everything looks like nails, right? Which basically like means that every every you know you can. I like for example, I always say creature design always looks like someone did it in ZBrush. They all look the same. They like this the same design of the same creature every time. And sometimes that what I basically implying by that is the technology sort of leans the the creative in a specific direction. Do you think that this technology has changed some of the direction the way people think about and they're now creating a new kind of uh, stories that are that are um, enabled through this technology? Or do you think there's something that's that's different about the stories they're making because of this technology? I think if anything, it's allowing them to to really connect like with with the environments and really connect the characters and and really connect the acting in a way where you're able to figure stuff out before you actually need to shoot it, where it feels very intimate and real. Um, so if anything, it's kind of pushing the envelope there early on um, because maybe you have, you know, some temp characters and some temp actors, whether they be mocap actors or, you know, some temp audio that's, that's playing over this, but it really allows them to really get in and, and see if this is what they're trying to create. Whereas, if we didn't have the technology there, you know, they would have an idea of it, but it, you know, it would actually look like a, a what did we say? Uh, storyboards on, on, on steroids. Uh, what did you use? <laughs> on steroids. Yes. That's I was like, right. what was the drug? Uh, but you know, it would look that way. And so he, with this new tech, you're, they're able to kind of really see it and feel it. And I think that's huge when it comes to storytelling. It's, you know, it's like, imagine going to a movie and it not having audio, or, or music. There's so much movement that you get, you know, there's so much that comes out of, out of the audience that way. So I think that they're able to do that at least. Yeah. I, what I think is fascinating and I, and I, you know, is that there's a lot of decision-making that has always been uh, put off. I mean, you could have mentioned a fix it in post attitude that people used to have. Right. But they, yeah. that because you're pushing so much more, looking at so much more on screen, there's decisions being made are much more, uh, uh, there's much more that's being decided during that time than they were before. Do you feel that because they're, they're looking at a lot more of what is actually going to be there, that it actually sometimes slows down the previous because they're starting to really get into, oh, well, let's talk about lighting. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about different things that they probably didn't, they ignored before. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it will always depend on on who's doing what, but um, yeah, I think it will. It can overcomplicate, um, and I think sometimes when when people are considering using certain tech, uh, we have different different versions of that tech. So if 
rather than going, you know, full blown virtual camera, we have something that's as easy as just on an iPad. And it's kind mm -hmm. of getting them to see if this is something that they want and is this going to be distracting for them or is this going to be useful for them or maybe they see that you know that's not for them but let's actually use this ipad to to get into like sets and to really see if if we can feel what it's like to be there for art department stuff so that when we start creating things um we see how big we can really create it so sometimes it allows them to to go a different route um and figure out what the tech is that they want to use or no tech at all because it's it could be too distracting for whomever that that creative is i think it just depends on their appetite yeah well that's interesting that's interesting for sure so what are i mean the one of the things I was going to ask you, but it's going to be hard because you guys work so so early in the process of the filmmaking. So whatever you can talk about as a film is probably been done. You worked on it years <laughs> years ago, right? So I'm really wondering, like, but it, can you tell me about some of the cool? What what projects can you tell me about that you're really proud of or you had such a good time? Can you give me some? So one of the projects you were working on that was really yeah. cool. Yeah, we just worked on Loki, um, and that was one of the first, you know, streaming projects that I worked on for Marvel when I came back from from uh, VFX. So I thought that was really cool because it's you're getting into Marvel and you're getting into the television side of Marvel and the episodic, and there's there's so little time to do to shoot these, but at the same time, you know, we still need to get it all done. And uh, if anything, it's it's looking at different ways to strategize with with producers on, on that side of the fence in terms of like, how can we achieve this? Does it mean, you know, does it mean, you know, creating a different type of technology that we're going to use for this? And in that case, it wasn't that it was traditional previs in Maya. Um, but at the time, if they had done that, our game engine pipeline probably wouldn't have been ready to, to unleash for the episodic. Um, now we're, we're moving so much more quickly and, you know, there's, there's so much more time that we've had to really develop our pipeline and to understand our pipeline and to get the right experts there and, and to, you know, really crew these shows the way that they need to be crewed. Um, so a lot of it was also done during during COVID with that PPP money where we were allowed to, you know, really create our own our own stories and, and get people to get immersed and to figure it out together. Cause if you're like me, you don't really learn until you're there doing it um, yourself. You know, people can tell you the way the game engine works um, or the way, you know, filmmaking works. But unless you're unless you're there doing it and you have a client breathing down your neck or being, you know, telling you to keep exploring and loving what you do, you're not going to get that rhythm or understanding until you do it yourself. So low-key was a cool experience because it, one, it was the usual business of pre-biz and then getting a bunch of stuff back from set that came back very quickly um, and team building um, and, you know, continuing to, to build through post because we're part of the post post biz too. And that, that post process um, and getting stuff over to the vendors quickly. So um, it's definitely accelerated. So that was an interesting experience. And I, I mean, I don't know if you've watched Loki yet, but it came out fantastically. Like I love it. Yeah. I loved it. I've loved watching cool. it. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're proud of it, too. It's always wonderful to have that. There are certain movies that I've worked on that I've never watched. So sometimes those aren't so great. But there are certain movies that I saw. Like, I remember Real Steel. It's like, oh, this is going to be whatever. Some robots fighting. And it's like, <laughs> this is a really good movie. I really yeah, loved, I loved it. it. I loved it. I didn't. I, I, I did not know it was going to be as good as it is. And I think people are starting to realize it's a streaming, like it's a, it's a, it's a secret 
success movie. It's really cool. Uh, I yeah. do. I am curious about about streaming. Obviously, streaming now has really, really taken off in a lot of ways. And you guys are probably extraordinarily busy, as you've been implying. You're hiring like crazy. Is streaming really going to change the way you guys are operating in terms of, you know, as opposed to the traditional summer blockbuster films that a lot of the big films that we've been working on? Do you think streaming is going to change the landscape of what you guys are working on? I don't think so. I Because, th- you know, Marvel, we're still working on, on Marvel stuff. And if anything, it's more. It's, it's more content to be working on. So um, I think the co- with COVID, it's, it's also minimize the amount of features that were greenlit for a certain amount of time. So there was definitely more streaming to be working on because that's kind of was the safe zone for, for our different types of studios. It's like, well, you know, let's keep that going because we know the people are going to be home and that's, that's going to be an avenue we can continue with. Whereas the features were a bit more, you know, are we, are, this, are people going to go back to the movie theater? Like, how are we going to do this? Are we going to release this for theater and for, you know, people to, to watch at home? Like, how are we going to make money off of this? So, um, I think that the streaming will continue and, and the features is just now they're, you know, they're coming back. We're back in the theaters. I've seen two things recently back at the theater, which has been awesome. Um, but it's still, it's still navigating COVID and how are we going to continue through this? So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's going to be, I still think it's going to be a challenge to, to figure it out. I love Honestly, on a personal level, I love the fact that there's so much more stuff out there to be available. That there's, yeah. you know, obviously, if you want to watch Marvel stuff, you got lots of content of Marvel stuff, and you got it both in theaters or and you got it on on your, you know, Disney Plus. If you want to watch, you know, there's just so much content out there and, and movies and series, and I think there's so much more. There's so much creativity out there right now in terms of the different content, and I'm really happy about that because it makes me, you know, I I love chewing through movies, so it's really yeah. cool and. I I, I love what you guys are doing over at the third floor. I think that, you know, you guys have some amazing, amazing stuff. I'd love to be able to talk to Chris at some point as well and see, you know, pick his brain about what his thoughts are on the process. But I'm really glad that we're able to talk to you and, you know, find out what it's like to run a studio because running a studio is, you know, especially in your position is really hard and uh, you're doing it during one of the hardest times uh, in, in the, yeah. in the, in, in the, in the industry. And, uh, obviously you're succeeding. And, you know, to me, I've just, I gotta say, I, I, I'm very, I'm so happy to see you in this position and seeing you Thank do you, what Chris. you do because it's, it's just, I, I know how good you are and I'm really happy for all of your success and, and you Thank just, you. you just do really great things. So very, very, very happy to, to, to talk to you. And we get to catch up, which is awesome. <laughs> I know, totally. I'm super excited to be here. So I've, this has been a pleasure for me. And it's been so good to see you. I know I saw you at Third Floor one day. It was like a couple of yes. years ago. It, yeah. it was, you were, you had just started there. It wasn't that long that you had been there. Because I think I no. went there with Stephen Parker, wasn't it? Didn't that come by? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were, you were with Stephen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I'd been there for at least a few years then. But I remember I was super busy that day and I saw you yep. sitting there in, in the kitchen area in the cafe and I stopped what I was doing and I sat down and started chatting with you. Had to, I do had remember to that. You had been there for several, for a while. Now I remember we were actually demoing uh, some of the V-Ray for Motion Builder stuff to you guys. And that's, that's what right. it was. That's yep. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, yeah, it's been great to, to catch up. And like, again, if I saw you on the street, I'd be like, Chris, <laughs> Chris, remember <laughs> yeah. me, Chris? 
I do. Yeah, I know. It was so it was so it's so great seeing you. And you guys are still in that same building right across from Lockmo. We are. Around? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's a yeah. great space. I love that space. So um, it's really cool. It's been it's been good to kind of slowly get back into the office. I'm still working from home, obviously, but um, and we'll see when I get back there. But it's also great to be home, too. I got two Frenchies and nice. that, you know, you can't you can't you know this guy's sleeping down here you can't yeah, uh, I can hear him. Can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't always beat that so it's, it's nice to be home but at the same time you miss people right you gotta have that it's hard it's connect. hard yeah i went out to lunch with uh with chris blythe the other day and we realized that we've completely lost our social skills like we can't you know face to face we and we were very social people it's like i don't know how to do this you know like it was very strange there were but anyway it's it's been great thank you liz so much for being on i really appreciate all the time and and all your insight and again you know congratulations on the amazing work that you guys have done and uh i'm very excited and people should definitely go watch loki if they haven't seen it <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.